God is great. God is great. We have a love letter here that a lot, are, a lot of them are bound. Some are rolled up, but uh, this big love letter proclaims the greatness and the goodness of God. Uh, we're going to be diving into First um, and Second Timothy and Titus, uh, known as the pastoral epistles. Um, we kind of got a, got a head start last week. Um, Hamilton kind of gave us our first taste of, of these three books. And, um, you know, anytime you go through uh, more than one text um, that are written by the same author that um, really deal with a lot of the same themes and um, principles and philosophies, um, it's always a struggle. How do I do this? Now, how do we do this? How, how do we do this that makes sense? How do we do this that teaches um, not only the line-by-line, verse-by-verse kind of um, um, truth that comes through the Scriptures, um, but how can we also teach that kind of systematically, so theme-by-theme? Theme? So we're going to take a little bit of a hybrid approach um, as we go through these three um, epistles, um, the first and second letter to Timothy and Titus, written by the Apostle Paul. So uh, we want to kind of lay down this week, or at least begin to lay down, um, a theological framework, a theological foundation for what is it that Paul is going to be speaking about um, as we work through these three letters. Um, Paul has a, an approach that a lot of times is very cyclical in nature. He, he kind of goes through a few things, and then he comes back to the few of those things, and then he comes back again, and so he works through his letters and his writings doing that a lot. So you're going to see us doing that a lot, probably. Um, but we, want, we went through, and we want to pull out some of the things that we think would be a great foundation as we go into these teachings. So today, we're going to be talking about God's greatness. We're going to be pulling just the different aspects of God's greatness out of Paul's writing. Next week, we're going to look at God's goodness. We want, we want both of those, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely do. Um, and then um, we're going to look at Scripture and the goodness and greatness of God's Word to us. So that's, that's a little bit of what's to come over the next few weeks. But today, we're going to be looking at God and how great He is, how awesome God is. Um, boy, it's, it's easy for us to kind of put the blinders on, isn't it, in life? And kind of forget about that. Oh, oh yeah, God, Whatever. He got it all started, but now we're just kind of here fending for ourselves. That's, that's kind of what we feel like sometimes, isn't it? And we forget about that. And then we see something come out of Hawaii where we see God's greatness in action. And, uh, oh, man, some real devastation, right, happening on the big island right now. And uh, it reminds me of just how not great I am <laughs> and how great God really is. Just one, one way that he does that. So uh, before I get too, too carried away, thanks for reminding me, my dear, my lovely bride, Kirsten, everyone. Um, I won't make the little guys stay in here with me and listen to this. Um, not this time. You get to, you get to be taught by Miss Kirsten and, and the others. So go ahead and line up and go out for your lesson. Bunch of cheerful givers there. That's what they're going to be studying today. How to be cheerful givers. 
If they come back early enough, they can teach us how to be cheerful givers. Okay, so back to God's greatness. So I want to pull out three, three aspects of the greatness of God. Of course, we could make a pretty huge list of what are some of the things that we would expect from a great God. Well, let's, let's do it. Let's do it right now. What are some things that we would expect from a great God? We would expect him to be what? Just. Okay, good. Merciful. Wonderful. I like it. What else? Forgiving. Okay. Powerful. There's a great, there's a great one. Yeah, powerful. What else? What are some more? A great God is all-knowing. Right. He has great knowledge, right? Okay, what else? Maybe wisdom? I hope so. I hope he's wiser than I am. What else? Great God, okay. All-present. All-moral, very good. Yeah. We, we don't expect him to have a different standard than ours, do we? I wouldn't think so. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, we, we, it's the other way around, right? He had the standard, and then we just, yeah, we changed it. For sure, yeah, great trust, absolutely. Yeah, these are all, all definitely true. Um, I am going to look at three of those today from the text um, leading up to um, how Paul responds when he is faced with these aspects of God, um, these characteristics of God. Uh, we see throughout the Bible what happens when people actually come face-to-face with God several times. Right? You'd think that that's, that's all it would be filled with, right? But we see a lot. Um, it's usually not how we expect. We expect to like, give him a high five because God's like our homeboy or something. But that's not usually how people respond when they come face-to-face with God in the text. They usually fall on their face in repentance because of the fear that they've been overcome by, <laughs> by seeing and witnessing the, the true greatness of the one and only God. Um, and that's what we see happen to Paul just in his recounting of God's greatness. He's not even face-to-face with God. He's just talking about God. And we see him fall three times in this first, first letter to Timothy. We see him essentially fall on his face in worship as he's just, just reminded of who God is as he's writing this to Timothy. Um, so we're going to start with this. Let me read this first section of 1 Timothy. We're going to be in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, um, and we're going to end at verse 17. So 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 17. Just follow along with me, um, if you'd like. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach different doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, 
and a sincere faith. Some have deviated from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, although they, although they don't understand what they're saying or what they're insisting on. But we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral and homosexuals, for kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching based on the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was entrusted to me. I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, one who was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus, might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Mm. See what happens when you just start meditating and marinating on God? You just, you can't help yourself. You break out in, in worship. And we wouldn't expect anything different to come from Paul. Do we do that? Do we do that? Well, I hope we do. I hope we do. I hope we, if not, I hope we start. So we're going to talk about three aspects of God's greatness today. First off, God's authority. Great God has great authority. Secondly, a great God has great wisdom. And last but not least, a great God has great justice. So first off, we want to look at authority. Paul believed that God was the sovereign. God was God. He was the creator and sustainer of all things. So how do we respond to the sovereign who is appointed or, or established over all? Well, we treat him like he's God, right? We, we surrender. Um, the, the king, even in a worldly sense, um, their authority is not based on what they've done, right? Their authority is based on who they are. And I think we forget that. I think we lose that. We want to just make a list of all the things God does, even for us, if we want to be really, really self-centered about it. We want to make a list of all the things God does for us, and then we want to say, that's why I follow him, or that's why I love him, or that's why I, I obey him. No, we're supposed to obey the God of the Bible because he's God, because he's the king, and we're not. It's because he, of who he is, not what he's done. But, however, it is reaffirmed, right, by what he's done. He doesn't just leave it at that. He doesn't do what my parents did. Do what I say, right? Do what I say, not what I do. Because I said so, right? Because I said so. Hope you're not listening, Mom. <clears throat> right, he's king. He's Lord. 
right? We, we, have, uh, we have made this gospel, this, um, this, uh, this, this weak grace gospel, um, and we've asked people to follow their Savior, but we've never asked anybody to, to make him Lord of their life. Um, and, and a lot of that is us included, right? We've, we, we love to follow our Savior who has our best interest at, in mind and at heart, um, but uh, we don't always want to follow Lord. We don't always want to submit to his ways as better than our ways, because we think we have some pretty good ways, quite frankly. We think we do. We think we've got it all figured out. But when we submit to the authority of God, a great God, that's different. That's worship. And, and we see at the end of this, this passage today that that's exactly what Paul did. He broke out into worship. King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Boy, do I do, I do that when I'm confronted with God's greatness, with God's holiness? We sing about the holy is the Lord today. Do I do that? Do I break out in worship and, oh, man, God, you are so great and so good. Quite frankly, I don't most of the time. I don't. But God's wise, too. A great God has a great wisdom. He's not just lording his authority over us. He's wise. He's wise, and he passes that on to us. So this second section of the text here talks about what Timothy is to do. He's He's supposed to, uh, to work against the false teaching in Ephesus. Those who are teaching a different doctrine, quite frankly, a different wisdom, right? Something that's not of God, an earthly wisdom. So what do we do with that, right? The law. Are we just to, to, to make lists and keep them? Is, is, that what, is that the gospel? Is that what we're supposed to do, just make a bunch of lists? I don't think so. Right? I don't think that was God's plan. I don't think that's God's way. I think he actually refers to it in a different book that Paul wrote. And I'd like to go there and take a look at it. In Galatians chapter 3, people are keeping a different, keeping a different gospel. They're, they're, they're preaching and, and teaching a different gospel. They love keeping the law. right? And most of us would say, yeah, we'll just, you know, just, just get in line, right? Do what you're supposed to do. We love law-keeping. We love list-keeping. We love performing. I mean, hello, we're in a military context. What context better illustrates keeping the law? Performing. Perfection. I don't know that that's God's way. Let's see what God says here. In in, uh, Galatians 3, Paul writes, You foolish Galatians, who has hypnotized you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now going to be made complete by the flesh? Did you suffer? suffer so much for nothing if in fact it was for nothing so then does God supply you with the spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by hearing 
with faith. He goes on to, to give us the purpose. What exactly is the law for then? Because I think a lot of times we, we slip back into not knowing or not understanding. Then, then what is the law for? Paul explains, he says, why then was the law given? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not for just one person, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that was able to give life, then righteousness would certainly be by the law. But the Scripture has imprisoned everything under sin's power, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me explain a little more about does that mean exactly to be no longer under a guardian? No longer under a guardian. Other uh, translations would call it a schoolmaster or a tutor. What does it mean if we're no longer under a schoolmaster or, t- or tutor? Well, let me make it personal. I've, I've, I've given my testimony a few times before, but I don't think I've done a very good job of explaining how did the law work <clears throat> in my testimony when I came to Christ. So I was deployed. I was in Kuwait. Lovely beachfront property there. And uh, was far from God. I, I had no relationship with Christ whatsoever. I was a pretty good old boy. I thought I was uh, living a pretty moral life when we get right down to it. I thought I was making good decisions, although they were mostly about me and my comfort. <laughs> Um, I was married. My bride was pregnant with my first child, and there he sits. <laughs> it's just a, just a little while ago. So I went to Kuwait, and, and I did what Uncle Sam told me to do, right? And I, I've said this part before, you know, that I was faced with a depravity that I hadn't seen before in my life. It, was, it just felt so magnified in a deployed environment. Just, just the fact that everybody was just re- really seeking sexual immorality, p- pleasure, whether it be through physical means or through pornography or whatever. And I've said, oh, I was faced with this depravity of man. You know, that sounds pretty generic, right? Sounds pretty general, very general. But I said, uh, but what I didn't say was I wanted to do that too. Like, let's just get right down to it. In my heart, I wanted to be immoral. I wanted to cheat on my wife. I wanted to do whatever felt good because I was in a deployed environment. And, you know, everybody else was back home living it up, at least so you think, right? The law took me to that place. That was the use of the law. I began to ask questions. What does this mean about me? Am I just broken? Am I just a mess? Am I, am I you know, beyond repair? What, what does this mean in my own heart, in my own life? 
Because I wanted answers. <laughs> I just didn't know what they were because I was so far from God. I grew up in the church, but the Bible was just a collection of short stories about heroes. I had a whole bunch of them. So I needed more answers. So I began to search. I began to seek the truth. And thank God, thank God when I came back, started attending a church in Leesville, Louisiana, I heard the gospel for the first time. That all of the sin that the law had revealed in my life, that I thought was holding me captive, I didn't have to be captive to that anymore. Because Christ has already died for that. Christ had made a way. He had revealed to me through the gospel and through other faithful folks that I didn't have to be under that schoolmaster, under the guilt and shame. I was free because Christ had already paid for that sin, for those desires that were creeping up in my heart of a guy that thought he was pretty good, pretty good guy, pretty impressed with myself in those days. That's, that's foolishness. <laughs> that's foolishness to the world. That whole story, what are, you, what are you talking about? No, you're just like everybody else. Right? We're all just going to put one foot in front of the other, and hopefully when we get to the end, our good outweighs our bad. Right? That's the world's wisdom. There's this scale out there that we're hoping to keep putting some good on that it'll, that it'll even out and hopefully be in our favor right when we get to the pearly gates. That's what we want. At least that's what the world wants. But that's not what the gospel says at all. That's not God's wisdom. God's wisdom, which when we really think about it, makes no sense at all, especially when we talk about communion. God's wisdom was, you can't do it. I love you so much, but sin has taken over your heart. I have to make, if I love you, I have to make a way for you to enter into my holy presence because you can't do it on your own. But guess what? I love you. And there is a way. It says someone has to live sinless, perfect life this side of heaven. And he even had to leave heaven to do that. That's good news for us. That's good news. Because that's what happened. Christ left the Father's right hand and came and lived a sinless life as a, as a human man. That sounds ridiculous to us because we can't do it, but he did it on our behalf. That is great wisdom because it, it maintains God's holiness. What we usually want is for God to somehow just accept us as we are and just, uh, you know, just let us all in. We tried our best, but he had to maintain his holiness. And he did that through Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection. And that's our free gift. So we're no longer under the law if we have accepted that gift on our behalf. We can now have a new heart that was given to us by Christ. We can now have that clean conscience that Paul spoke about in 1 Timothy. Here's the best part about all that. We're talking about a great God. It's not for our glory. It's not for us to be proud of. It's for his glory. That's where I think a lot of even quasi-gospels tend to, tend to divert. They tend to divert down. And look at us. Look what we did. Look what God loved us so much. We, 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 us, 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 me, 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 I. No, it's nothing about that. It's God's glory. It was for his glory and honor forever and ever. That's what Paul said.
So a great authority, first and foremost, that God has over all of living, all of life, all of the universe, the world. His authority, because he is the sovereign, only king of kings and lord of lords. A great wisdom in that it wasn't about keeping a rule. That rule, that, that law, the first five books of the Bible, were, were sent to us to hold us safe, to protect us until the way and the truth and the life, right, came Christ. And he made the way for us, for God's glory and not for ours. Lastly, justice. A great God has great justice. Somebody mentioned that earlier. I think it goes a lot with wisdom, right? We've already kind of talked about that with God's wisdom. But a great justice usually doesn't fit into our paradigm when we think about what did it take for us to be accepted into God's holy presence. We, we, we sometimes feel like we got off easy or maybe that others got off too easy. That's usually what it comes down to, right? Well, I'm looking around and, you know, I'm still comparing myself to others. This great justice. Let me read this last part again. It says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord. Which is interesting that Paul is the guy that writes Christ Jesus more often than Jesus Christ. One of the, one of the commentaries pointed out that he knew Christ as Christ. He didn't know him as Jesus. He, he didn't know him as a man. He knew him as a risen Savior. So he always refers to him first as Christ and then Jesus, and not, a, not always, but more, than, more often than not. I think it's like 25 to 7 or something like that. Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, one who was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. I mean, if we just looked at Paul and considered all of his transgressions prior to his conversion, and a miraculous conversion that it was, but prior to that conversion, he was a mess. He was a murderer, persecutor of Christians. And now he's an apostle? <laughs> How is that fair, right? Isn't that what we say? How's that fair? What did he do to deserve this? Well, he did the same thing that we do. He repented. He fell on his face before a holy God, and he had faith that Christ made a way for him, that Christ appointed him. This came up earlier, too, in the list. But I received mercy. Mercy, boy. I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. He hadn't forgotten. He hadn't forgotten. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him 
for eternal life. Boy, is that the gospel that we're preaching? Is that, is that the gospel that we share with our friends, with our coworkers, with our colleagues, with our parents on the ball field? Is it that, oh no, I'm the, I'm the worst of them. I'm the worst sinner. The only chance that I had was, was falling in line behind Christ. He's the one that paid the penalty for my sin, not me. My church attendance doesn't get me anywhere. The number of times that I read the Bible per day, it's not, it has no effect on my salvation. It's all Christ Jesus. He did it. He set it up. <clears throat> that, that doesn't sound like justice if we're going by the world's measurement of justice, right? The scales. That's only a, that's only a justice that can come from, from a pure, holy, true God. So what does that mean for us? How do we know where we fall in this economy that God has of a great authority, a great wisdom, and a great justice? Well, this is the worst part. This is the hard part, right? Submission. Submission. When the schoolmaster of the law brings us to the end of ourselves, to the point where we recognize our sin for, for all that it is and for all that it's worth. When we see it not as a, not as a crime against a man, but as a crime against God, as a, as a transgression against the holy God, what do we do? Well, the Bible says we submit. We submit to the king of kings. We do things his way. This is another hard, hard thing to talk about in a military context, right? Surrender. What? You've got to be kidding. <laughs> but that's what God's calling all of us to. He's calling us all to lay down our weapons, pick up his, to surrender to his ways and to lay down ours. To not try to enact our own justice but to trust his. That's what submission looks like. That's how, that's how we follow Christ. When we repent, we turn toward him and away from us. We choose his way over our way. And we do it again and again and again. There's no new way, right? Once we've trusted Christ, once we're no longer under that that schoolmaster, that tutor, that guardian. When we come across an area in our life that we just haven't submitted, we haven't turned over to God. He still calls us, repent. There's, there's not another way, there's not a new way. Just repent and follow me. Stop believing the lie that someone's told you. Believe the truth that the Word of God teaches. And we'll hear lots more about that in the weeks to come. So what do you do with this today? Well, look inside your own heart. Go through the, the areas of your life that haven't yet been surrendered to God. What are they? Who are they? 
How are you trusting him? Do you trust him and his infinite wisdom? Do you trust in his justice? That even when our children aren't very good at keeping the law, right? They don't fall far from the tree, do they? Our children aren't very great. But what do we do? Do we say, you keep the law because I said so? Or do you say, man, God's really working in your heart, isn't he? He's really trying to reveal to you that this, this principle, this idea, it's for God's glory. Again, it's not for the parents' glory that we have these perfect children that are walking the line. It's for God's glory. Repent. Submit. Surrender. Easier said than done, isn't it? Well, it's okay. We have a lot more to go through. God hasn't given up on us. He continues to work in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. He does that through the text. He does that through his word. He does that through the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in us. We can't forget that. Just as the Galatians did. Oh, foolish Galatians, right? Let's not be like those foolish Galatians. Let's continue to trust the gospel. Let's continue to preach the gospel to ourselves first. And be so fluent in the gospel in our own hearts and minds that it'll be just like it'll just roll off the tongue to those around us. What do you say? Let's pray. Father, we pray that uh, we aren't like the ones that Paul is trying to warn Timothy about. That we aren't trying to preach or teach another gospel. That we aren't trying to manipulate your words so that we can be more comfortable. Father, I pray that we, we hear you. We hear your word through the Apostle Paul today. That we submit to your authority as King of kings and Lord of lords. That we trust that you are wise and we are not so wise. We believe your holy word. We know that you've not only written it down for us, but you've protected it for thousands of years, Father, so that it could get into our ears and our eyes and our hearts. Father, I pray that we would believe that you are just, that you don't have a different set of rules for different people, even for you, but we can trust in your justice and we don't try to enact it on our own. Help us, Father, we need your help. You're so good, you're so great, and you love us so much, and we know that. We sing songs about it every Sunday, every time we come together. But we step out the door, and I think sometimes we forget. Stay with us. Continue to show us your true character through your holy word. We pray that we would submit our time, that we would build in margin so that we could continue to be washed by your word every day. We would continue to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who you really are, not the myths and genealogies that we've, been, we've had passed down 
to us. Help us to press it up against the text of your holy word, Father. Father, be with those young people that are just a few rooms away. Pray that you would just capture their hearts, that they would continue to love and study your word and, and learn these lessons, not about characters, but about one true hero in Christ Jesus that came to deliver them from the bondage of sin that's been passed down to them, sadly enough, from us. We pray, Father, that you would protect them, that you would guide them, that you would capture their heart, that you would save them. We love you and we thank you for how you reached out to us when we were running in the opposite direction. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.